When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for a bit of healthy banter and discussion for your listening and viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And it is the review of the Monaco Grand Prix and as we all expected, the Monaco Grand Prix was never going to deliver an absolute classic, unlikely as that may have been but it certainly delivered some form of entertainment, but a surprise result up and down the field. Starting, of course, the one thing we weren't surprised about, and that was Max Verstappen getting a very crucial win today in this Drivers' Championship. He needed to get the result today. He needed to put in that performance, and he certainly did to a plum. A bit of fortune that he received before the race even started, which, of course, we will get into. But going through this race review with me, my co-host once again, Mr. Courtney Pine, who, owing to events in other sports, is a bit more chipper than he was a few hours ago following the Grand Prix, Courtney. So uh, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, I think hitting the nail on the head there. I'm I'm obviously thrilled that my club are going to be playing European football next season so that's something to behold but yeah you're right it was um, another very forgettable Monaco Grand Prix I've made my opinions on the race uh, day itself known in the past and I'm sure we'll be covering that later on in the episode Yeah, absolutely. But of course, let's get started on this. And as always, we do like to thank everybody that has newly subscribed to the channel on YouTube. So thank you so much for those of you who have joined us at the DNF1 family. You are mostly welcome, more than more. Well, more than welcome, really. Thank you so much for tuning in and subscribing to the channel and of course, helping us really get better and better with this as we go along we're really enjoying this so thank you so much for joining us on this journey and of course if you haven't already and you like what we do please do consider subscribing to the channel really does help us a lot and of course we're hitting new targets all the time so thank you so much for that but let's get into the race review the monaco grand prix started off but even before the race got underway there's a huge huge moment and unfortunately as a ferrari fan and of course many ferrari fans would have been devastated to learn that charles leclerc not only was not able to take to the grid following his crash on Saturday, but unfortunately, owing to what Ferrari are saying is a drive shaft issue on the left-hand side of the car, was not able to take part in the race at all. So, Courtney, um, we'll talk about Leclerc first. I mean, first of all, it was an incredible lap that he put together in qualifying. The Ferraris looked mega quick all weekend. First of all, did you were you surprised to see Charles Leclerc have a fast enough car underneath him to get pole position? And also, how disappointed were you to see that he was not able to take advantage of that qualifying performance? Well, yeah, first of all, uh, we expected Ferrari to be closer, given obviously Monaco isn't a power-sensitive circuit. But we didn't expect to see Ferrari, you know, that 
that close to the very top. And I suppose that should give Ferrari fans some cause for optimism in the future when they finally have an engine that's good enough again. Because it just comes to show that actually it's quite a decent car when the, you know, if the engine power was there. So encouragement for Ferrari fans. But as a neutral, yeah, you know what? Well, I was impressed by um, Leclerc's lap, but very disappointed this afternoon given what happened. Because if you used to put, if you're a neutral Formula One fan, if you're not going to get Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton, the next best thing is Max Verstappen against Charles Leclerc. And we all thought we were going to get that today. And unfortunately, we was robbed of that at the last minute. Yeah, unfortunately so. And, you know, Ferrari had been saying kind of quietly that they felt confident that they could have a very good weekend. I've been saying for a while that this Ferrari car is very, very good. If you took all of the engines out of it and all of the advantages that come with that, Ferrari have a very quick car underneath them. And I think we saw this weekend a, a unique weekend. Granted, Monaco is certainly not a reflection of the other 22 races on the calendar by no means. But having said that, Ferrari do look like they have a very competitive car this season. And we all expected Ferrari to sort of fall away. And it never really did. Even on today's race, Carlos Sainz, of course, putting in a great performance. But of course, we'll get into that. They still look relatively quick, at least probably the biggest threat to Max Verstappen. Um, But yeah, very disappointing for Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. As I said, Ferrari claimed, despite inspecting the gearbox and saying that there was no issues or anything else and that they could find... Something was obviously wrong or at least affected by Leclerc's crash. And it's such a shame it ended the way it did. Um, To talk about the controversial incident, if you like, Courtney, the crash at the end of qualifying three, which did secure Charles Leclerc's pole position, not the way he would have wanted, of course. Um, But I've got to ask the question, Courtney, do you think there's any evidence to suggest that Leclerc intended to, to hit the barrier the way that he did in crash or are you like most people on this one and feel that, you know, that this was just really, really unfortunate and you're perhaps pushing a bit too much? Oh, of course not. I didn't think that. I messaged you to wind you up. I said, oh, look, Ferrari are cheating again. Because <laughs> it's like this whole thing that goes back to the Schumacher days, isn't it, that Ferrari used to cheat a lot. But, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, put down your favourite guy and your favourite team, Adam. I won't do that to you. But yeah, I think the fact that they thought that he'd smashed the car up like that in order to cheat was ridiculous. We've seen, We've seen times in the past going back. We saw Schumacher do it in 2005, 2006, one of the two, weren't it? Yeah. So yeah. he done it to Fernando Alonso because he already got pole. And I think people sort of looked back and thought it was reminiscent of that. And we saw Nico Rosberg go off mm. without going off the side road to cause yellow flags. That's debatable. But this certainly wasn't done in order to benefit Charles because you don't smash your car up. And look what happened. That's the kind of crash that causes a gear, your, your, gear, your gears to be damaged, the gearbox. So he's not going to do that to benefit because look what happened. If 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 they were, hypothetically speaking, cheated, they've really come unstuck. So I definitely think it was innocent. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't put your car in a position the way that Charles did to potentially wreck your race just for the sake of a pole position that you're never actually going to take, which, of course, that's how it transpired. So unfortunately for Charles Leclerc, the poor fortunes at Monaco continues albeit it seemed that that was going to be a thing of the past so for the fifth time in a row in the last well since 2017 Charles Leclerc has not finished the Monaco Grand Prix and in this one he didn't even start so commiserations to him but you know this this will eat away at him because of how well Ferrari did today outside of him um, outside of his own performance today but um, 
you know, it, it's such a shame for him. And it's going to hurt a bit. But of course, it just shows that Ferrari are really making steps in the right direction. And hopefully that will continue for the rest of the season. They probably won't be as close to winning a race as they were right there. But that certainly was fun to watch as a Ferrari fan for, as while well it lasted. Now, let's, of course, get to the actual race winner, Max Verstappen. And yes, Max Verstappen inherited pole position in fear, in well, theory from Charles Leclerc's misfortunes. But that being said, it did feel that Max in that Red Bull was the quickest combination round the Monaco circuit. And it proved to be that way today. Courtney, once Max Verstappen got off the line, it wasn't a greatest of getaways, but he managed to cover off Valtteri Bottas as we expected. And once he got out of turn one, did you feel there was any doubt that Max was going to be able to throw away this lead? Or did you feel that he'd practically won the race from that moment? Well, yeah, there's no doubt he benefited from um, Charles Leclerc's misfortune. But at the end of that, you can't take anything away from the lad. Yeah, the, the car, we always knew the car was going to be strong, but he looked untouchable on a day. So fair play to Max and the championships, they're wide open. So the neutral fans will be happy about that result. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's important to notice the ongoing evolution that we are seeing with Max Verstappen in that, there's always going to be questions asked over his ability to win races that he should be winning. And this certainly was one of them and his ability to bounce back from being in a difficult position to which he has been for some time this season, especially the last couple of weeks with the pressure that Lewis and Mercedes have been putting on Max and Red Bull to get it all together, put in a performance where you're expected to do well and really start to lay down a glove or two in this championship fight to which he has done today and of course as a result leads the drivers world championship for the first time in his career so you know with all that being said Courtney is this is today a huge milestone for Max in terms of his credentials in this championship fight do you feel that by winning today that proverbial tag of not winning races you should be has gone or do you feel that he's just making that next step in his progression if you like, against Lewis Hamilton. So, yeah, definitely. I think in terms of his progression, I agree with that part. But I think it's actually massive for Red Bull as a team because I said uh, after the Spanish Grand Prix that if Red Bull weren't to win this race or Azerbaijan, they'd have to seriously think what they're going to do with their development, whether to continue with this season or push on for next season. So it's massive for Red Bull, in, in, obviously, in two regards. First of all, for the same reason, because they're going to have to continue developing this car in order to win this championship, because Mercedes are not going to give up. If anything, they're going to be formidable in the next couple of races, because whenever Mercedes have a bad weekend, they tend to bounce back immediately. Yeah. So Red Bull, so Red Bull are going to have to really focus on this year's car. So in one sense, it's great for the neutral fans that this is going to be happening, but this could potentially be detrimental to Red Bull's performance next season. And it could be for Mercedes as well. And this could make the regulation changes next season all the more interesting. Well, there's a few good talking points I actually want to bring in for a discussion. But of course, we'll be talking about that in our next podcast that we will be recording uh, some point next week. Um, because it, it, there is a lot going on right now in terms of this development war between Red Bull and Mercedes. And there's a few things that I've noticed from this weekend that might indicate um, some of the comments that we've heard in the press about Total War talking about uh, our focus is primarily on the 2022 car, uh, but we will discuss that in a bit more detail in the next episode. Otherwise, I'll be here all day with this review. But um, yeah, Max Verstappen putting in a great performance. There, of course, there was pressure 
from Valtteri Bottas, although we felt Max was controlling the pace and perhaps deceiving Mercedes into thinking he wasn't as fast as he was. And then, of course, when he had to push, he was able to open up a gap. So a brilliant performance all round from Max Verstappen, a very controlled, assured, confident performance that, for me as a fan, is a great indication that the next generation of stars post Lewis Hamilton, if you like, and post Sebastian Vettel is pretty much going to be spearheaded by the looks of it by Max Verstappen at this point in time. And it's a big moment in this championship race, Courtney. Now that, you know, despite the start that Lewis Hamilton has had, the one bad weekend he has had by contrast, and it's coincided with a good weekend for Max Verstappen, how crucial could this win prove to be, in your opinion, in this championship challenge? Because what we've seen is as soon as Mercedes and Lewis have a bad weekend, Max is there to mop up, as Lewis has so famously done in many championships that he has won himself. This could prove to be a crucial weekend for Max and Red Bull. It could possibly be the case. But again, I do believe that Mercedes and Lewis will bounce back. We've seen it so many times. There's This, this title race will probably go to the end of the season. But I just expect when we get towards the mid part of the season, when we get towards Silverstone and, and tracks like that, I think we're just going to, we've, we've seen glimpses of it already this season where you just have this almost unbeatable partnership between with Lewis and Mercedes. So I think it's definitely going to fire up. But Monaco's always a very interesting circuit for Lewis because, yes, he's won there three times, but this is one of his weaker circuits. He's always he's had some funny weekends at Monaco. You know, everything has to be perfect to have a good week. Doesn't matter how good you are, everything and even as far as the luck, which we saw for Max, everything has to fall in place for Monaco to work, given it's impossible to overtake. So now one of these weaker races are over. I expect to see some stronger performances from Lewis and Mercedes in the coming weeks. And it, it, look, it's going to be exciting for the neutrals. This this result isn't great for Lewis or Mercedes fans, but it's great for the neutrals. Oh, absolutely. I think it's what the championship needed. I felt that there were fears that Lewis was driving to such a level that he was just able to pick and choose his moments and he was managing to mitigate any damage that he was receiving, particularly at Imola was a great example of how, despite the circumstances and the fortunes that he received as a result of what had happened, he was able to take advantage of that to the point where he only lost seven or six points because he got fastest lap. So yeah, you know, Lewis is doing what he needs to do, but this was a big weekend for the championship. And I feel that if Red Bull and Max Verstappen are going to be successful this year, they need to take advantage of every situation that comes their way when Hamilton and Mercedes are not at their best. And to their credit, in the two races where that's happened, they've managed to do it. So they'll have to keep doing that this season and perhaps take a few wins if they can at circuits that Hamilton and Mercedes will fancy their chances a bit more than they have done at certain others. Um, but, you know, I mean, seeing as we're talking about Lewis Hamilton, let's talk about them. Of course, we'll come back to Perez briefly. But, um, yeah, I mean, qualifying, Lewis was struggling throughout practice, of course, as well. Qualifying, he said the team had made changes to the car, which apparently suited Valtteri Bottas a lot more. Just by coincidence, I don't think that was the tactics, of course. But Lewis was never really on top of the car this weekend as he normally does. I mean, it just seems, Courtney, that when Lewis and Mercedes have a bad race, they have a bad race. They don't yeah. just finish third or fourth and say, oh, the wind got away from us in the way that Red Bull may have felt that way with Max at Spain. They really have a bad race. And I think if Hamilton doesn't see the back of Pierre Gasly's AlphaTauri for the rest of his career, I think Lewis will be very happy. Um, what did you make of the day-to-day -day for Mercedes? Did you feel that there was anything they could have done to help Hamilton's situation, um, including that 
uh, that pit stop where eventually he ended up losing ground to Seb Vettel as well. Well, one of the things we've praised Mercedes for the most this season is the strategic calls, which have made the difference. And this weekend, they were not at the races, mind the pun, at all. They, they, they were awful. Like he, lost, he lost two two places in the um, in, well, three actually, given them Perez's first it went so well for him. He ended up losing three places in the pits. And like, this is the worst possible place to do it. The worst possible place. For me, I'm going to go and get, go into a mini rant here. Monaco is fantastic on a Saturday, and I get why it's important for the history of Formula One. But the races are so dull. They're dull. Like, let's, let's be honest. Most of us probably watch this race and we're, we're probably on our phones for the majority of the time. The race itself is boring. We're just waiting for that hope. Is there a safety car? Is someone a barrier? We didn't even get that today. So in terms of the Sunday itself, the races are dull. And if anything, Mercedes, um, Lewis and Mercedes were the biggest victims of the setup of Monaco today. Yeah, it's interesting you should mention that because we actually didn't get a safety car or even a virtual safety car, which is probably the biggest shock of the race more than anything else. We're usually guaranteed to have a safety car of some sort, but no, everyone was very well behaved and there wasn't really any retirements except for issues that the drivers couldn't prevent, uh, you know, such as Leclerc's incident and um, Valtteri Bottas's unfortunate mishaps in the pit. So, yeah, well done for everyone for keeping it clean. I must say, but um, yeah, there was no strategic benefit, unfortunately, from not having a safety car. And I think it's an age-old debate, Courtney. You've kind of hit the nail on the head with Monaco, and I'm sure a lot of the younger fans and more casual fans that watch Formula One expecting to see balls-to-the-wall, end-to-end action every single lap, were never going to get that at Monaco. And they've these cars, the way they are this season, uh, and other seasons recently in this turbo hybrid era, they're really not designed for Monaco. But mm. Unfortunately, as I said, the caveat is, is that you never design a car for the Monaco Grand Prix. You design it mostly for the other 22 races yeah. and that's the one-off. I suppose it brings up the debate. Should Monaco be considered as a Grand Prix as part of the championship or should it be just a one-off event in the middle of the season in the same way that the Indy 500 is when it doesn't count towards the championship, but it's still a celebrated event because of its tradition and uniqueness to the sport? Yeah, I, do. I have mixed feelings on it because... But first of all, to win at Monaco takes a lot of skill. It, 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 of course, it takes luck, but we cannot take anything away from Max Verstappen. He was supreme today, and he deserves the points that he he's, that he got for the performance that he put in. There's no taking it away from him, but I don't know. I, they need to somehow look at a way to make this track more interesting. I don't know, but it's it's it's, it's up for the organisers. But I think it's almost impossible. And something that I noticed today is that. The drivers just accepted that it's impossible to overtake. So what you saw were drivers being like pretty much like two seconds away from each other, and it was all but preserving their tires. Mm. It was a procession. Now I know it's rich coming from someone who supports Mercedes, but we've seen plenty of processions over the um, processions over the last seven years. But this certainly was. Without a safety car, it was pretty much the end result. Like the, the start result was the end result, and you don't want to be seeing that. You know, you, it's, it's called a race. And we was and we're not getting that. So it's 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 a weird one because you want to see Monaco on as an F1 fan, you want to see Monaco, but from a race perspective, it's awful. It's awful to watch. 
Mm. Yeah, no, it, it has been in the past. And as I said, it, this one was a little bit more entertaining, but not necessarily for the young track battles or lack thereof. Um, I mean, I'll have a bit of a mini rant about this now. It, it's so funny and ironic that the most entertaining moment that we potentially would have got from this race was Vettel and Gasly running up into turn two into the casino area side by side. And then it cut out to see a replay of Lance Stroll almost losing at the swimming pool. And I just thought, I've heard that Monaco have a specifically different race director to the other races in, in F1. And clearly this person has never seen an F1 race before, or at least they don't know what overtaking is because clearly that's probably the, the blunder of the season so far. If I can think of one, I mean, it was, yeah, it was embarrassing. I mean, it's a tough job. I'm not going to, you know, slate on them, but given what we'd seen throughout the race and we saw how oh, this is amazing watching Vettel and Gasly going uh, up to the casino area, literally side by side and not knowing what happened next when everyone would have been dying to see what happened next. And then it comes back and Vettel's ahead. And, you know, it's just, that's just how it goes. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the irony of it with Formula One, but you love it for it. Um, Look, let's be honest, the Monaco Grand Prix is probably the most prestigious race to win. The one that every single driver in Formula One says, if you could win one race anywhere, where would it be? Majority of them will probably say Monaco. Doesn't help the argument over justifying Monaco being on the calendar. And as a purist and a traditional F1 fan, as I like to think that I am, I feel that the F1 World Championship would be weaker without Monaco on it. That being said, that alone should not be justification to not try and improve the race in there. But I honestly have no idea how you can improve it because you can't exactly tear up Monaco to change the circuit to make it better as much as we'd like to do. Um, you can't, you know, you can't do that. And, you know, the cars, even if you make them smaller, like they used to be, it doesn't really change much. I mean, I remember the older days, the old Trulli train that was made famous in a Monaco race um, because no one could overtake him so in, in smaller cars. So it's not going to get any easier. And next season, yeah, the cars might follow a bit closer, but I don't think the Monaco race is going to be that much more exciting next year. That's my thoughts, but let us know what you think in the comments below. Um, we should move on to Valtteri Bottas. Now, very difficult race for Bottas because it started pretty well. And, do you know, this was a big opportunity for Bottas to try and really show to Mercedes that he is the right man to support Lewis Hamilton beyond this season. And even if he didn't have the pace to beat Max Verstappen today, he was pretty much robbed of the opportunity after that mishap in the pits, which we believe was a will not getting caught in the cross threads at the suspension where the tyres sort of held on to. I mean, that is so bizarre, Corny. What did you make of that? That is probably the least Mercedes-like way to retire a car. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, Bahrain last season where it, went, where it all went wrong for George Russell. Hmm. It just, it's just one of those weekends for Mercedes. It seems that when they have a bad weekend, it's just one thing. It seems that every possible thing can go wrong. Like we saw in Germany a couple of seasons ago as well. Um, but yes, unfortunately for Val, um, it's unfortunate for Valtteri Bottas, given as you're right, it was a big opportunity for him. I reckon he probably and, and he was in a good position to finish in the podium, which would have been a good move for him. Would have given him confidence going into future races. But at the end of the day, he knows that he performed well on a Saturday. So he could still take something from this weekend. Yeah, it's horrible. It's, it's going to be gutted that he's going away with, with no points. But he could take confidence in his, um, in his qualified performance to take it into um, Azerbaijan. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And I think he does need to take positives from this performance, despite the fact that, you know, through 
through reasons that weren't of his own doing, he unfortunately was not able to score any points to the point where Lewis was even surprised. He was wondering where Valtteri was halfway through the race, only for them to tell him that he'd retired and which obviously did help his situation for the championship because it gave him a few more points. But I'd imagine he'd have rather Valtteri put pressure on Max and try and force a mistake, which would have given him an even greater advantage, but obviously to no avail today. Um, So Mercedes will be left licking their wounds probably taking solace from the fact that Monaco is a very unique race. So I don't think they'll be panicking too much, but this result has really put Red Bull back in the game and Max Verstappen. And of course, Sergio Perez as well. We should also mention him. Um, a difficult Saturday for Perez. I think they were hoping for Perez to really step on in qualifying. Probably would have been a bit higher in the qualifying order if it wasn't for Charles Leclerc's red flag. I mean, we had half of the field in the top 10 claiming they were going to get on pole position. I might as well just gone out there on an electric scooter like Martin Brundle said and just said, yeah, I could have got pole as well. It was a bit ridiculous. But apparently Perez might have qualified ahead of Hamilton and Gasly or gotten into the top four or five. We'll never know. But um, otherwise, despite a difficult Saturday with the Red Bull team, they managed to strategize an excellent race strategy, which brought him back into play, overcutting the likes of Hamilton, Gasly and Vettel to end up finishing in the top four today. So with all that done and narrowly missing out on the podium, of course, Red Bull now not only have the Drivers' Championship in their hands at the moment, but they also now lead the Constructors' Championship. So after... A couple of weekends where Red Bull have been left with more questions to ask than answers. How do you think they'll be feeling now, Courtney, knowing that they probably still have more to find, but they're leading the championship after five races? Well, the step forward that Sergio Perez has made is important and it it shows. And, you know, this is what everyone's been saying about Sergio Perez. It's important that he steps up in order for Red Bull to get back into the championship. And we've seen it this weekend. He has to keep this going. It has to be consistent because... Again, Monaco isn't really reflective of pure pace, not only of the drivers, but of the cars themselves. So they should be happy that they're taking this result with them, but there needs to be consistency, not only from Sergio Perez, but from Red Bull performance-wise going into um, Azerbaijan. Yeah, absolutely. There should be... I feel that they should be feeling a lot more confident. You know, they've not been at their best Red Bull. I mean, this weekend, they were very, very good. Let's not beat around the bush. Max's race was executed to perfection. And strategy-wise, they did a great job to get Perez into the top four and completely leapfrog three cars in the process to the point where Lewis was massively frustrated on the radio. I mean, constantly complaining and getting frustrated. And I can understand it. It's very uncharacteristic of Lewis Hamilton, but I think people need to realise that as rare as it is, the passion and is there for Lewis and he would not have wanted a weekend like this one. So it happens, but I'm pretty sure he'll dust himself off. They'll go into the debrief as Mercedes often do and just basically start again and pick, pick up where they left off. So plenty of races to go in this championship corny. And um, I mean, how do you feel? Obviously, you know, Mercedes fan aside, but how do you feel about this championship so far? Do you feel like today has really salvaged the championship to a degree or do you feel like you know this is just a one-off race and perhaps the status quo beforehand may continue if Red Bull aren't too careful yeah I'm gonna sound really repetitive here but the result yes good for the championship but I think Mercedes are going to bounce back whether it be next race or the one after I expect a big comeback for them because whenever they have a bad weekend 
they really are good at turning negatives into positives. And I think some of the circuits coming up will probably suit Mercedes much better than Monaco. They always knew that this weekend was going to be difficult. They probably didn't think it turned out to be this bad. But Monaco and Singapore, Singapore are the two circuits I look at that are probably the two weakest for Mercedes. One of them are now out of the way. And we're going into a set of races that traditionally suit Lewis Hamilton in particular. So we're now going into a vital phase of the season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And no engineer or designer would build a car for two races of the season and forget the other 21, unless, of course, you're Williams. But, of course, we'll talk about them later on. Um, Let's go on to Ferrari now. Of course, we've already said a lot about Charles Leclerc. I I think it's worth noticing that despite the misfortune that Charles has had today and, of course, Saturday, not getting pole in the way that he would have wanted. But in all honesty, it was of his own doing once again. And I'm not going to put the nail in on Charles Leclerc because I do sympathise with his situation. As a Ferrari fan, it was heartbreaking knowing that there was a very realistic chance that Ferrari could have won today. And it was taken away before a wheel was even turned, at least as far as Leclerc was concerned. But once again, when Leclerc has been in this position where all of a sudden the combination of him and the car is enough to win a race and he has to be driving to the level we know he can, more often than not, he does make a vital error which does penalise him. He did the same thing in Baku a couple of years ago when he could have won that race and probably should have done and then crashed in the war at turn eight, which of course wrecked his qualifying and wasn't able to win that race. So without sounding too harsh, Corley, do you feel that Charles Leclerc needs to you know, take this one on the chin as hard as it will be and start to realise that at the moment, these opportunities are coming few and far between. But when they do come, he needs to be more composed and not make the mistakes by pushing a little too hard, as he's often done in the past. Look, with Charles Leclerc, I expect him to be a future world champion. He's, he's definitely got the skill to do that. And I've got to be honest, I'm looking at what's going on with Ferrari. I think they've made a really good acquisition in Carlos Sainz. I think they're clearly building a good car. We saw it this weekend. And they could be, mind the pun, dark horses going into the next season without driver without driver pairing. So if Charles Leclerc really wants to win a world championship, it has to make sure that things like this don't happen. Because if he comes up against Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, he's not going to be able to get away with making mistakes like that because he will get punished for it. Yeah, absolutely. And... This is going to be the problem that Ferrari will have is that when, if and when they do have a car that's capable of winning a world championship in Charles's hands, he will need to make sure that those moments where he crashes into the barrier and obviously wrecks his entire weekend despite getting pole or what happened in Baku do not happen because those are going to be the moments where a world championship will be won and lost. And if he doesn't believe me, go ask Seb Vettel. He'll tell you exactly mm how that would feel. Um, And against competition like Max and Lewis, you cannot afford to throw away opportunities when they come for you. Um, I mean, not to talk too much onto this incident, of course, you know, we should focus on the other side of the garage, which of course had a very, very good day. But one thing I will ask Courtney, Ferrari's method of trying to inspect the damage to Leclerc's gearbox and everything else, knowing what we know at the moment and of course there will be an inquiry and a further investigation where we might get more truths about this in the week but from what ferrari has said the left drive shaft issue that they had was not related to the gearbox problem that charles leclerc was worried about 
even though it may have been affected by the crash, do you feel that Ferrari handled this in the right way uh, in terms of taking the risk at Monaco? Or do you feel it might have been a bit wiser for them to perhaps accept that they may that they'll need a new gearbox and take that five place grid penalty? Because from what I've heard over the years, every time this sort of thing happens, you're always told just take a new gearbox and take the hit rather than the risk. How do you see the way Ferrari handled this situation? It feels weird saying this, but Ferrari behave like a team that aren't used to being at the very top. And Ferrari are the biggest name in Formula One. So it is a representation of where Ferrari are. They're, they're, in, they're, in, they're in a position where they're not used to being at the top. So they make, they're not used to being in these kind of... Um, having to make these kind of decisions because they obviously knew that if they were to take the fireplace grid penalty they've lost their opportunity to win. Because you, you think if Ferrari were in their traditional, should we say, top six to eight, they probably would have taken the fireplace because it wouldn't have made such a difference. But because they're in a position of win, which they're not used to these days, they were rash. They were desperate. And I just, I just think, yeah, I, I think the misjudgment there is a representation of where Ferrari are in the pecking order at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we should note that as more information comes out regarding this inquiry, it may be one of those things where Charles Leclerc didn't cause this issue with this accident. I mean, it seems unlikely, but you know, you kind of got to just wait and see what happens and whether or not you believe the story that Ferrari sell us. Um, as I said, very disappointing. I don't, I don't want to be too critical of them for taking the risk because they did everything that they needed to do that they said that they would have done in this situation. They checked it and decided it was worth the risk. And of course, until Charles Leclerc did go out for that installation after the grid, then of course, that's when the issues occurred. So we can't be too critical of them, but nonetheless, it's still a very, very difficult one to take, knowing that there was a good chance today that Charles Leclerc could have won the Monaco Grand Prix if the car was okay, but unfortunately, we'll never know. Moving on to Carlos Sainz now, a lot more positive signs for Ferrari. Um, I mean, I'm so, so impressed with Carlos Sainz. I'm really happy with Carlos Sainz. Now, I know I've gone on record and saying a few times that I would have preferred Daniel Ricciardo in the Ferrari, and I still feel that Ricciardo would have probably settled into Ferrari a little bit better than he has at McLaren. Not necessarily saying McLaren's a harder place to settle into. It's just it's a driving style thing, and I think it might have suited him better in the Ferrari. That being said, Carlos Sainz is going from strength to strength. And this was the one weekend where, in my mind, he might have had a bit more pace in him than Leclerc when you when he hooked it all up. But, you know, that being said, he was disappointed in qualifying. He was another driver that thought he could have gone on pole in his second run. Obviously, we'll never know. But he took advantage of issues that happened to his rivals and was solid in P2, probably getting the best result he probably could have hoped for today. So... I mean, what do you make of Carlos Sainz's performance today, Courtney? Were you impressed or do you feel that this has just been, this is what Carlos has been doing this season at Ferrari? Do you know what? I'm not really surprised at all to see Carlos Sainz deliver like this for Ferrari. I'm going to go back to 2015. Carlos Sainz has always been a solid Formula One driver. Unfortunately, when he's at Toro Rosso, it was Max Verstappen's teammate and all the headlines were around a 17-year-old coming into Formula One and rightly so. And the hype surrounding Max has proven to be correct, given what he's doing today. But Carlos Sainz was always under the radar because of his teammate. He'd done a solid job when he went to Renault. He was very much a big part of McLaren's rejuvenation. And I think McLaren owe him, uh, yeah, McLaren sort of owe him for that because he's definitely a big part of their rejuvenation. And now we're seeing it at Ferrari, another team that's in need of rejuvenation. 
and Carlos Sainz is getting the getting the big points for them. You know, it, it all went wrong for Charles Leclerc, but Sainz was there to pick up the maximum points that he could, and he's done that this weekend. So he he, as I said, I think Ferrari going in a good direction long term, and Carlos Sainz is one of the big reasons for that. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to drive the nail into Ricardo over this, because, but I do compare their situations right now because they're kind of both in the same boat in a new team, a team that's hoping to be returning to the upper echelons of F1's pecking order very, very soon. And of course, doing good things to try and make the necessary steps up. Easily the class of the best of the rest, those two teams. So, you know, the reason why I compare the two is because the last six years, Carlos Sainz has been at four different teams. He's been at Toro Rosso, went to Renault, went to McLaren, and now he's at Ferrari. Daniel Ricciardo, obviously, the last few years has gone from Red Bull, then on to Renault, and now he's at McLaren. So they've both had to adapt to completely different ways of driving in different teams and, of course, had the challenges. But unlike Ricciardo, from what we've seen at McLaren so far, Sainz every single time has always been able to be quick in that car almost immediately. Of course, it does take a while to get used to and there are things he has to learn. But I think what we're seeing at Ferrari is something that we saw at McLaren, something that we saw at Renault and at Toro Rosso when he was fighting Verstappen. Arguably, you could say he was Verstappen's most competitive teammate when you consider Mm -hmm. it. And Ricardo is the comparison right there as well. Um, you know, that that's an opinion of mine. But of course, you, if you disagree, guys, feel free to let me know. Um, so with that all being said, Ferrari have managed to land themselves a very complete driver in that regard, who's only going from strength to strength, still only 25. And it's an exciting prospect going forward that Ferrari may have a driver lineup that could very much be at the forefront of delivering on their expectations and goals for the coming years ahead. Um, I'd say with Carlos Sainz, the Carlos Sainz of McLaren is the Carlos Sainz of Ferrari. Mm. We've already said this about um, Danny Ricciardo. He's a complete, he's, he's, he's struggled. It happens. But it's, it's impressive. You know, we, we've spoken about Ferrari so many times. We've seen great drivers like Sebastian Vettel, Alain Prost struggle with the pressures with driving for Ferrari. Maybe it's benefited Sainz that he's joined the team at the time where expectations aren't so high. But yeah, he's taken to Ferrari like a duck to water, and it's truly impressive. I think Carlos Sainz is one of the drivers of the season so far. Mm. And thoroughly deserved his P2 today, his first podium for Ferrari, hopefully many more to come. So a bit of a bittersweet day for Ferrari, but I think overall they'll be pretty happy with P2 today, even though it could have been so much more on the other side of the garage. Let's move on to McLaren. I think McLaren overall will have a similar bittersweet taste to their day in the way Ferrari had for different reasons of course but I think if you'd have said to McLaren that they would have had a third place finish today for one of their guys I think they'd have been very very happy with that and of course they achieved that with Lando Norris who despite difficulties at the Spanish Grand Prix and despite people feeling that McLaren despite looking good weren't going to quite be challenging the likes of Ferrari Mercedes and Red Bull Lando Norris, once again, delivering a fantastic performance. He nailed it in qualifying, getting in the top five. And as Carlos Sainz did, took advantage of issues for his rivals ahead of him and managed to get on the podium for the second time this season already. So, I mean, this isn't a surprise now with Lando Norris. Once again, Courtney seems to be delivering the exemplary performances. This weekend is massive for the McLaren um, team battle. I, I stated in the preview, I really thought Daniel Ricciardo was going to come back strong. This is a circuit that he loves. 
and he got lapped by Lando. Yes, the specifics help with that. But Lando Norris was absolutely supreme this weekend. From a, As a British motorsport fan, it's exciting. It's really exciting to see because, you know, I will always support the Brits. And, you know, we're looking at Lewis could be leaving the next two or three seasons. And you're always thinking, who's going to carry the flag? And Lando Norris is really turning into a driver. Another driver with the right equipment could be a future world champion. And his performance this weekend at Circular Monaco, let's not understate it. He was one of the drivers of the weekend. Because like, if you have a look at that podium, the, the, obviously Verstappen, Signs and Norris. You can't argue against the three of them being a, they, they were the top three drivers of the weekend. And I'm actually pleased the results went the way they did because all three of those drivers deserve to be on that podium. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And a very young podium at that as well. And you'd say probably one that we're probably going to see a few more times over the course of their careers. It's certainly not a surprise to see all three of them up there. Um, especially, well, for Stappen, obviously, but definitely the um, signs and Lando Norris. I mean, the Lando Norris conundrum seems to be getting more difficult to kind of understand as his stock continues to rise. And the reason I say this is because McLaren announced before the Monaco Grand Prix that Lando Norris was going to be staying with them for a few more years. He signed a multi-year deal, which, of course, a lot of people believe is taking him up to 2024 in line with what Daniel Ricciardo's current contract is with the team. Now, that's fantastic for Lando Norris. First of all, because McLaren drivers, the two before him, Kevin Magnussen um, and, uh, and Van Dorn, excuse me. Yeah, you're absolutely right, right. Van Dorn. Um, only there for two years each. And both of them have left uh, because McLaren felt that they weren't good enough. So for Lando to get that long-term contract, there's obviously a step in the right direction for him. He did say jokingly he got it because he's better than them, but you'd have to say, well, he's right, really. You know, all jokes aside. Um, but that being said, Courtney, I, I do want to ask this question to you. With Lando's stock rising at the rate that it is, and obviously stuff going on at Mercedes and a few other teams as well, do you feel that perhaps it was a bit premature maybe for Lando to sign such a long-term deal with McLaren? Or do you feel perhaps he was right to cash in and confirm his long-term future at a team which he spent his entire professional career to this point, um, you know, just to stay there for the time being? If it wasn't for the regulation changes, I would, I would agree that he should have been looking to join another team in the near future. But there's no reason why McLaren can't be one of those teams that could get back up to the top. Them, McLaren and Ferrari, I, I really do believe they could be the two teams to watch next season with Red Bull and Mercedes in the development war. And McLaren and Ferrari not having a top. And they look, McLaren and Ferrari are big sporting names in motorsport. They have the time and the resources in order to put themselves in a good position for next season. And look, Lando Norris is comfortable with the team. As you said, he's been there since he was a kid. And he probably feels he's in the position now where he leaves that team. We said at the beginning of the season that he's going to have to lay down the marker, you know, because he was showing hallmarks of a leader. And we, he solidified that now. So mm. for really, like, there's, there is no reason for Lando to leave McLaren because, yes, McLaren have helped him develop, but Lando is one of the reasons why McLaren are back towards the top. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's great to see that that new livery that the McLaren were running this weekend 
get onto the podium. If you know, it was such a beautiful car, it definitely belonged up there. So yeah, great to see that. And we should not forget Lando Norris now moving into third place in the drivers' championship, back ahead of Bottas, and of course because of what happens to Leclerc, was able to steal a bit of a march of his Ferrari rival. Then that battle will continue all throughout the season between McLaren and Ferrari. So long may that continue. Only two points between them in the constructors' championship now. So all times, isn't it? Absolutely, I'm certainly all for it. And uh, and again, you know, we should say Lando did a great job towards the end of that race where he held off Sergio Perez on much probably you know less than less than impressive tires he was sort of complaining about the grip on them but he did a great job it's monaco but you know you've got to handle that pressure nonetheless um let's talk a little bit about ricardo we've already mentioned him already but again a very very difficult weekend arguably the most difficult weekend he's had at mclaren um didn't get into q3 on saturday which really was the story of his race really that you know it all come down to his qualifying performance what does ricardo have to do to turn this around, Courtney, because we said for a while that he needs races, he needs time. And of course he does need time. You know, we've only been five races in and Monaco is not going to be a reflection of Ricardo's performances this season, but it does add to the concern that right now he seems to be quite a way off of his teammate Lando Norris. Well, we all thought that he'd taken a step forward in Spain. And it seems like he's taken a step back again. So what he needs, he needs some solid races where he doesn't get caught up in any incidents. And we're going, in, we're going into a, a race in Azerbaijan where it can be chaotic. And we're seeing Daniel get great results. So this is a type of... So the next race is vital for Daniel, I feel. Because if we have a traditional Azerbaijan where he gets safety cars, big incidents at the very top, this could be one of the races where... He can make a name for himself at McLaren, but Lando Norris isn't going anywhere. He's going nowhere. So even if there is a, a traditional Azerbaijan, you'd expect Lando Norris to be the driver to potentially get a podium or a win. So he really needs to have a couple of solid weekends. I think don't take any risks. Learn about the car as it goes along. And maybe when we get towards the second half of the season, maybe Daniel can regroup and we maybe might see glimpses of Daniel Ricciardo of old. Yeah, absolutely right. Couldn't have said it better myself. And I think if there's a moment to describe the start of the season so far, at least today's performance for Ricciardo, that was a moment of pain. It would have been when his teammate Lando Norris had lapped him and just to wave by to say, obviously, thank you for letting me go through so easily. But that would have been a tough moment. For Daniel, I'm pretty sure I would not have wanted to be in the debrief with him after that. So hopefully his fortunes can improve Daniel Ricciardo. We know he's got it in him. It will take some time, but right now he needs to find a way to adapt his driving style to that McLaren and really get the best out of it in the way that we know he can. So hopefully that happens sooner rather than later for him. Let's move on to Aston Martin now, who have had their by far their best day. Uh, of the season today Sebastian Vettel I did say in a bold prediction he'd get a point but he did a lot better than that he ended up P5 today and with that one drive of the day so I am brimming with joy over Sebastian Vettel's performance today Courtney um I mean should we be surprised that Seb managed to pull this one out of the bat because he is a bit of a specialist around Monaco a two-time winner here and yeah can Conducted a perfect performance as far as he what his car was capable of today. Yeah, I'm really pleased for him, to be honest. You know, I think since that last season at Ferrari, you know, he seemed like a beaten man. 
and we've, we've said it ever since you joined Aston Martin, you just, you just needs that one performance where we can show glimpses of Sebastian Vettel that we all know. You know, this was a guy that was challenging, uh, was dominating championships for four seasons. You know, that talent just doesn't go away overnight. So I'm really, really pleased for him that, you know, we still, I, just, I just hope he can take this into the rest of the season. Yeah, Aston Martin probably don't have the car to really show what he can do. But I'm just glad he had the opportunity to, to show, you know, the doubters that he still has it. Yeah, and this was not by any sense of luck. You know, some people may say, oh, that car shouldn't be there. In qualifying, he nailed it. He managed to get into the top eight, did a great job in qualifying. And in the race, of course, the key moment when Hamilton and Gasly made their stops, they overcut them, which is the traditional strategy in Monaco rather than undercut everywhere else. And he managed to get ahead of them. And they had that brilliant rundown into Massenet and into the casino section, which, of course, we didn't see the end of. But Sebastian Vettel came out on top. So, you know, brilliant stuff from him. Lance Stroll. We didn't really see too much from him, except for that moment where it cut away from Vettel and Gasly to see Lance Stroll having a bit of an issue. But other than that, eighth place, solid performance from Lance Stroll and confirms a double points finish for Aston Martin. They really needed this weekend. They've been, they've been probably one of the biggest underachievers of the season. And they finally have a weekend where they can really take something to build on. Whether we'll see that in Azerbaijan, I do have my doubts about that. But at least they have something to celebrate this season because I really thought that was going to have a poor season all the way along. So, yeah, at least have something to celebrate for once. Yeah. And with that, and I don't know if my maths is right on this one. So if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me, guys. But I believe that now puts Aston Martin fifth in the Constructors' Championship ahead of Alpine. Now, we suspected that that would be where Aston Martin's fight would be. But obviously, Mm. Alpine did seem to steal a march from them and get away. But that's huge in this Constructors' Championship for Aston Martin. So hopefully we'll see more of that from Seb Vettel and uh, Lance Stroll. Very, very good weekend for them. Um, Let's talk about Alpine, seeing as we're on the subject of Alpine. Um, Esteban Ocon finishing ninth. Difficult qualifying for him. Didn't get into the top 10, um, but put together a very good performance in the race. Was pretty solid. They went for a gamble on strategy today on the medium tyres, which I wasn't quite sure when everyone else was going onto the hards. But otherwise, Esteban Ocon, I think he'd be pretty pleased with ninth place, given how that car probably wouldn't have been on the points on merit. Another solid performance from him. I really do believe that he saved his seat at Alpine. They'd they'd be silly to get rid of him. And we're seeing science that they definitely want to keep him. So... Fantastic for him. I, I don't know what that means for Fernando Alonso and Pierre Gasly, but that just makes it all the interesting for us neutrals. But Esteban Ocon, as in his last few races, really showcased why he should still be a Formula One driver. We had that a few weeks ago. He's really turned it around. And I, I think it's difficult to showcase your talent. We've, we've said it about so many other drivers in these midfield and low midfield teams. But Esteban Ocon has been one of those drivers that's been managed, who has managed to perform well with what is overall been a poor package. Yeah, absolutely right. And I've heard rumours that Alpine are talking with Ocon and his representatives overextending his time at Alpine, which is, of course, exactly what he would want. And, you know, this has kind of been exacerbated a little bit because of Fernando Alonso's subpar performances, once again, struggling to get out of Q1. And wasn't exactly spectacular in the race either. I mean, I'm worried that 
you know, we talked about Fernando Alonso that his return might not be as bad as Schumacher's, but I guess we intended because we thought it was going to be better. But it's not. It's actually a lot, lot worse now. So, I mean, what has Fernando got to do, Corny, if you can think of anything to turn this around? Well, he has to take, has to take the step up because if the rumours are true about Pierre Gasly joining, the one thing that does go in Fernando's favour in that regard is that it's well documented that Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon do not, do not like each other in the slightest. So I can't see the pair of them being teammates because you'd, it'd be worse than Hamilton against Rosberg. It'd be a whole lot worse because Lewis, when Lewis joined Mercedes, they were actually friends still. You can't be putting people in the same car that actually hate each other because that would that would damage the team in terms of development because yes the two, two uh, yes the two teammates are racing each other but they're helping develop the car as the season goes on so you can't have two drivers to hate each other so I think that's going to be the factor that could say Fernando Alonso see Alpine well that and the fact that he has a two-year deal and if mm. Alpine were to remove Fernando Alonso for next season to get someone like Gasly in with Ocon, it would be a very expensive decision. Not necessarily a mistake, but a very expensive choice that they will have to make one way or the other. So hopefully Fernando can find it his form again. But I, I think we've got to the point where we can't afford to give him concessions over this because he's a two-time world champion because we didn't give the same courtesy to Schumacher and look at what he achieved in the sport. So we can't do that for Fernando. Um AlphaTauri, let's talk about them. Mixed day for them, really, between their two drivers. But once again, Pierre Gasly, as we've already said, showing everyone why he is still one of the pound-for-pound top performers in this field at the moment. Because, you know, that car really has probably digressed to a point where it's not a top 10 car right now. But he managed to get a great qualifying performance out of him to qualify for the top six. And he managed to hold on to that position in the end to take P6 and keep Lewis Hamilton behind him, which is certainly no mean feat, even at Monaco. I have a, I have a question. Where does Pierre Gasly go from here? Because, unfortunately, it seems like long-term that Red Bull don't want him to be a part of their programme. Alpine looked like a likely des- a destination for him before Ocon upped his game. I don't know where he goes from here because he really does have... Look, we've seen it in the past couple of seasons since he left Red Bull. He's he's a very good driver. But unfortunately, the way you're looking at the market, where does he go? Could he, could be, could he be a possible outsider for that second Mercedes seat? Maybe, maybe we were wrong to not mention him in that episode that we, um, we previously mentioned. Because he's certainly good enough. He's certainly good enough to be a number two driver well, these days to be a number two driver for a top team. You know, we've seen some very, very good drivers struggle at Red Bull. And I think you can't put, put that experience of Red Bull against him because he's really turned you around since then. I mean, it's such an interesting dynamic, really. I mean, Pierre Gasly kind of finds himself in a cohort of young drivers that are really performing to a high level. And the Formula One is reaching a state right now where it's probably as talented or as diversely talented across the field as it's ever been. The downside of that is that there just isn't enough seats to accommodate all of these aspiring quality drivers. And Pierre, despite having the opportunity at Red Bull, because of not being able to take it through, you know, lack of support or lack of quality or Pierre just wasn't ready for it. The end result is that you have a driver that potentially doesn't know or may not have a route in Formula One for the foreseeable future. 
Esteban Ocon was very fortunate to be able to find a way back in. And when he did, he eventually grasped the opportunity to the point where now he may secure his future longer term. Pierre Gasly doesn't really have that luxury. And unless a seat opens up somewhere, which at the moment is unlikely, he could find himself without a Formula One drive for next season, which would be a devastating shame. But that's the reality we find ourselves in at the moment. I guess the solace, if you can take any from it at the moment, is that AlphaTauri may be desperately pushing to try and keep him on for at least another year. And the reason I say this is because the other driver they have in the car right now, Yuki Tsunoda, is really struggling. And I never thought I'd see Yuki Tsunoda in a position where he started so strongly and now is really struggling. And I think that's what we're seeing from him at the moment. Finishing 16th again today, qualifying was extremely difficult, didn't get out of Q1. And this seems to be a reoccurring thing with Yuki Tsunoda, where for whatever reason, he is really struggling to get the most out of this car when he's much experienced. And yes, for the time being high caliber teammate, it's like, well, it's like night and day between those two right now. So there could be some solace there where they may need to keep Gasly on just because they don't have a better option with anyone they can bring from Formula 2 or elsewhere right now. So we'll have to wait and see. I, um, I mean, we talked about Yuki Tsunoda a lot and perhaps we're repeating ourselves in this one, but I'll ask you again, Courtney. I mean, what has he got to do to turn this around for Alva Because right now the rookie is really starting to struggle. The problem he has is that the cars, as you've said, the, the cars have gone right downhill in terms of where it is on the on the grid. Yuki Tsunoda seems to be in a similar position to the likes of George Russell, where if things aren't going right with your car, you're really going to struggle with it. And obviously, when your teammate's doing well, that just makes you look all the worse. So it's in a bad position. But, you know, you're talking about repeating yourself. I'm going to repeat myself again. And said he's another one of those drivers that needs to have some clean races. Just, just focus. Maybe you need to focus on how he builds himself up mentally over the race weekend. Maybe that's something he needs to do. But he needs to find, he needs to find some way to turn it around because Formula One is brutal. And I'm glad you mentioned about how talented this grid is because I honestly thought that the naughty zero Formula One was the golden era where you had. Alonso, Hamilton, Vettel. But you're right, you look through this grid and there is talent in pretty much every team. And for that reason, the slightest mistake could potentially cost your Formula One career. Mm. And he needs he, he needs to be careful because well, you know, even looking through like F2, you had a 17-year-old win a feature race in F2. It's incredible what's happening. It's incredible what's happening. So... There's really no room for error at the moment for these drivers. And, and maybe that's a part of it. Maybe we are seeing some of these errors because the pressure, when you're a young driver coming into Formula 1, the pressure is as high as ever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you pointed that out, actually. Um, Teo Porcher, for those of you who weren't sure, Courtney, was describing winning the feature race in the F2 Championship at Monaco. His home circuit, technically closer to home than the Le Castellet circuit in France, 17 years of age, the youngest F2 starter, the youngest F2 pole, and the youngest F2 race winner. Taking those records conveniently off of one Lando Norris. Don't know what he's doing these days, but I'm sure he's doing well. But um, that kid, Teo Pulcher, absolute star. Plenty of young drivers we could talk about, the likes of Oscar Piastri, who had a strong weekend. Liam Lawson as well, despite his disqualification, drove rather well. Dan Ticton, we mentioned Robert Schwarzman. This is the future of Formula One, and it's going to come 
quicker than a lot of people that are currently in Formula One would probably hope it would. And it's not going to get any easier. Um, the feeder series are really churning out some real stars, the likes of Charles Leclerc, Mick Schumacher, Lando Norris, George Russell, um, Giovinazzi, Gasly. They're all coming and they're all coming very, very quickly. And if they're not careful, they will probably find themselves taking their seats. I, I suppose it's like the beginning of Cars Free in a way like that. If anyone's ever seen that, they'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, but but let's go on to Alfa Romeo, Courtney. Giovinazzi, I, I said to you, Giovinazzi, was improving and looking good. And he's proved me right. He's got himself a championship point for Alfa Romeo, which could be critical in the fight with Williams and Haas now, as it takes him outright ahead of them into eighth position. Um, I've got to ask you, Courtney, based on what we saw today and what I've been noticing the last couple of weeks, is Giovinazzi doing enough to keep his seat in that team next season? Because I feel he is. Yeah, it, it, it depends on Raikkonen. I've always said it relies on, uh, it depends on Raikkonen. Because an, a, another driver, let's not forget, is Callum Eilert. He's another one mm. who deserves a seat in Formula 1. I still think I still think Giovinazzi is in that danger zone. But if there was, if there was a Formula 1 relegation zone, he is still in it. He's probably like in, like, if you have like Premier League, he's like 18th, he's the last spot. I'd say he's 18th. He's in that last relegation spot. It's sort of like the in-between phase. So he's going to have to put in a lot of good performances, I feel, to save his seat, given the amount of talent there is coming through. But look, he can only focus on himself. And this weekend was a good weekend for him. Yeah, I mean, the hard part for Giovinazzi at the moment, even though he's performing, I think, very, very well, and he's outperforming his experienced teammate Kimi Raikkonen, uh, especially today. I mean, got into Q3 on Saturday as well, which is an incredible performance at Monaco, of all places, for an Alfa Romeo. I mean, we know these guys inflate their place on Friday practice, but he delivered on Saturday when it matters and today. But the dynamic is kind of like this for Alfa Romeo, and I will try to make this as simple as possible because I am aware of time. Um. Giovinazzi kind of faces competition, yes, from Raikkonen for his seat, but let's assume Kimi Raikkonen is retiring at the end of the season. What that means is you've got two seats at Alfa Romeo, one of which Ferrari have a say in, which currently Giovinazzi holds on to. The second one is through Alfa Romeo and their Sauber Junior programs. And you currently have right now Teo Porcher, who is their leading academy graduate from the Sauber programme, who you would imagine continues his form in F2 right now, maybe win the championship, as it's definitely not something you can rule out, could end up in that seat next season. There's a very realistic possibility that Alfa Romeo will pick Teo Porcher for next season if he keeps going the way he is. So what that effectively means is Giovinazzi will face competition from not just Callum Eilat, but from Robert Schwartzman and Marcus Armstrong in particular. Those are the leading challenges for his seat at in that Ferrari-controlled seat. And this is assuming that they won't move Mick Schumacher into the Alfa Romeo seat, which I don't think is going to happen. So I mention him, but I don't think he's going to have to worry about Mick Schumacher. So despite his performances, it's very, very difficult right now for Giovinazzi, even on a day like today, to convince Alfa Romeo long-term to keep him on, especially when he's been there for quite a while now and... Yes, he's driving as good as he ever has done, but I feel like there's a much higher ceiling there from at least a few of the names that I've mentioned, at least from the Ferrari side, forgetting Teo Porcher and all of this, as exciting a talent as he is. So that's kind of the position he finds himself in. Um, Kimi Raikkonen on the other side of the garage, not a bad race today, finishing P11, just missing out on the points. But 
we're going to do this a lot this season where Kimi Raikkonen kind of finishes in that position and just say, well, that's Kimi put in a solid drive, but ultimately no points for him today. Yeah, he's one of the drivers that just had a very, very, very quiet race. And I think he's very happy to do that. So I think, I think, I think Alfa Romeo can be satisfied with that. And I'm sure Kimi will be as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think overall Alfa Romeo would be very happy with their day and getting that championship point will be crucial for them in terms of prize money for next season, which will be critical. Um, so yeah, well done for them on that one. Let's talk about Williams now. I think we're coming to the very end of this now. Um, I, I should mention, we forgot to mention this in the preview earlier in the week. Congratulations to William on their 750th Grand Prix. It's an incredible achievement. I believe only McLaren and Ferrari have competed in more Grand Prix than the Williams team. And of course, to mark the occasion, they did something very nice where I believe it was a uh, hundred fans or something like that, that logged onto the Williams website to basically say how long they've been a Williams fan for. I logged in just out of curiosity to see how many races I've followed Formula One. I think it's around 472 dating back from the 95 Canadian Grand Prix. For those of you interested, um, I don't think my name was on the car. Didn't check. Um, so, you know, never mind. But that being said, Probably not the way that they would have hoped their 750th Grand Prix would have gone. It was very tepid. It was very, well, there wasn't really much to say on it, really. George Russell qualified 15th, moved up to 14th. Latifi finishing 15th. Probably as good a day as Williams could have hoped for, really. Yeah, I'm really starting to worry about George Russell's future because we're in a time with the situation with Valtteri Bottas where we're in a time where Russell needs to be noticed. And he's in no position where he could be noticed. I, I, I think his performances aren't as good as they were last season. Seems that he's never been the same since that Bahrain incident. You know, there's there's no there's no doubt in how good the guy is, and it must be equally gutting to see the guy and yet yeah, a friend of his who he beat in F2 in Lando Norris doing as well as he is. Meanwhile, George Russell's probably one of the most forgettable drivers this season, and. Um, at, at the Monaco Grand Prix and I've, I've, I've said it and I'll probably keep on saying it all season George Russell needs to get out of Williams before it's too late because look you've got the amount of young drivers coming through doesn't matter how good you are it seems Formula 1 is brutal these days and I'm just worried about George Russell's Formula 1 stock going forward yeah, but as I said, as the weeks go on, there will be more doubts creeping in to how good George Russell actually is. I think there's no doubt in our minds that George is definitely a huge talent. But when you're seeing Lando Norris rise his stock week in, week out in a very competitive car, the way that he is, and George is languishing at the back of the field in the Williams, uh, not through his own doing, unfortunately, it does make you worry that when is George going to get that opportunity? Where is it going to come from? And will Mercedes feel that they can't justify putting George in that car right now? Especially if Bottas, you know, despite retiring, has more days like he did today for the rest of the season. So it's such a difficult situation for George. Williams have said they've been open to wanting to keep George in that seat for next season, which if you're a George Russell fan, I'm not sure if you'd be happy to hear that, although it does at least give him an option for next year if he needs it. But that seems to be the reality at Williams for George Russell. It seems to be the option is there for him if he needs a seat in Formula One just to keep him around. It's like going on, I suppose, if you're a footballer, you go on loan to a club that you think initially is going to be a one-year loan before you go and make it big at your parent club and you end up being loaned there for four or five years and then you get to a point where they end up signing you on a permanent. So, um, mm. yeah, it's a bit worrying for George Russell. I really hope 
an option is casted to him that will give him that opportunity to progress further. I just don't feel that Williams are going to be able to provide that for him at the moment, but we'll see. We'll have to wait and see how this goes. Um, not much to be said on the TV. Pretty again, we didn't see much of Williams this weekend other than qualifying. Most of the time we saw Williams was when they were being lapped, unfortunately. So not the way they would have wanted to spend their 750th race, but I'm sure Hopefully by the time they get to 1,000, they'll be in a better position than they are right now, although that's potentially 10 years away and then some. So that's going to be a while to wait for that one. I'm sure hopefully they'll be faster before that. Um, let's go to Huss to round this episode off, Courtney. Not much to say on them either. Uh, there was a moment at the very start of the race where Mick Schumacher had overtaken Mazepin into the hairpin, which is quite funny because that just caught everyone by surprise. But um yeah, I don't, I mean, we didn't follow it because the race director wasn't picking this up, but I don't know where Mazepin ended up finishing ahead of Schumacher. Something must have happened to Schumacher, which caused him to finish. a moment or something. Either that or something on strategy, I'm not sure. But yeah, Mazepin, I suppose we should congratulate him for finishing ahead of his teammate for the first time, not just in qualifying, although granted that was by default because of Schumacher's crash in FP3. But in fairness to Mazepin, he was as quick as Nick Schumacher was all weekend long. So it probably isn't that much of a surprise that he managed to get one over on his teammate this season. Well, for once, we're not talking about Mazepin being involved in any big incidents. So that's a positive. That's, that, that's something to take for a team that has absolutely nothing to offer this season. So I suppose Mazepin not getting caught up or getting any, any tangles with the race stewards is something that Haas can take from this weekend. Yeah, and P17, I believe, is his best ever result. So, you know, congratulations to him on that one. And I know we shouldn't really be louding praise on a driver that is following the rules in terms of blue flags and allowing, you know, performing the right etiquette to allow drivers through. But to his credit... At Monaco, of all places, where it was going to be extremely difficult, I don't remember seeing one incident where someone was complaining about Mazepin getting in the way. So, well done to Nikita Mazepin for that. Take from that what you will. <laughs> it feels silly congratulating someone for that, but given how dangerous it could potentially have been if Mazepin was driving the way that he was in previous races, it's good to see that he wasn't caught up in any incidents and he did what he was supposed to do. So, you know, we should all praise for that. Hopefully that etiquette level continues in other races. Um, I think that's a good way to round it up, Courtney. I don't think there's much more to say on this one. I'm being mindful of time as well. Um, before we wrap this up, Courtney, any final thoughts? Let's just hope that Azerbaijan is <laughs> any just completely different to this race because it was so dull. It was dull. Less, less, less races like that, please. Less races like that. Well, hopefully we will get plenty of action and excitement, but of course the championship now back in the hands, at least for now of Red Bull and Verstappen with it all to play for. Can Mercedes respond with Lewis Hamilton at the helm? You're pretty sure he probably will, but it's certainly going to be fun to check out. Of course, if you haven't already, make sure to like the video if you've enjoyed it and consider subscribing to the DNF1 podcast channel on YouTube if you haven't already. Until then, guys, make sure you take care, stay safe, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon.
Social Podcast Network.